in this last presentation, I was given the title, Onward and Upward, Maintaining the Vision for Medical Evangelism. Powerful uh, theme. And, you know, I just would like to break down my presentation, first of all, by reading from the Bible the promise that God has given for us. Secondly, I would like to highlight some of the issues or challenges that are faced by medical practitioners. And thirdly, I want to highlight, or I want to give rather three challenges for every individual in this room. So that as we leave this place, we can something to look forward to. Or, you know, just like at school, right? If you don't give homework, what would happen? The next time the teacher sees you again, most likely your knowledge has not increased. Correct? Because, uh, because often if there is no something object, uh, you know, that we can action on it, then uh, rarely we actually accountable to that one. So let's turn your Bible to the book of John chapter 14, and we're going to take from verse 12 and verse 13. Now, we know that John chapter 14, in my view, is probably one of the most, chap one of the most powerful chapter because it contains a lot of promise. And that's also the chapter whereby Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. But I want to highlight in verse 12 and verse 13, and let this be the promise that we take home. John 14, verse 12 the Bible says, this is Jesus saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes what in me, the works that I do, he will what? Do also, and greater works than this he will do, because I go to my Father. Verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I cannot find any promise in the Bible that is more powerful than that in the work of evangelism. What do you say? The Bible says, he who believes in me, the work that I do, he will do also. My question to you, what works did Jesus do when he was on the face of the earth? Exactly like Pastor Yildon saying yesterday, right? He was what? He was preaching, he was teaching, and he was healing. My question to you, was Jesus' work powerful or not? Yes or no? Yes. His work was really powerful to the point that it changes the world, right? But Jesus did not stop there. He said, if you believe in me, you will do the work that I do, which is already powerful. And then he adds on. But greater work than this. Now, I cannot imagine that. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine to make Jesus' work better? Like in a sense, right? That's what he's saying. Can you improve upon his work? I mean, I don't think so. But Jesus is alluding in this text anyway, that if we are committed to him, we will be able to do greater work than this. And by the way, he adds a promise as well. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. My question, who is going to do the work? <coughs> Jesus is going to do the work. First Thessalonians 5.24 Faithful is he who calleth you, who also will what? Do it. We highlighted this last night. 
if Jesus has called you to a certain mission, despite your inadequacy, despite your challenges, despite your obstacles in life, He will do it. And greater work than this, because I've gone to the Father. And then Jesus explains the reason why. Because in this age, when He is not physically present, He is physically present through the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the work of the disciples were so much more powerful in a sense. Now my question to Amen, do you believe that we can reach that stage? Do we believe and do we have faith that each one of us, we are given a task that is bigger and bolder than our vision in life? That's the question. And that's the challenge. Often we think of God too small. Often we think that God can only do this small, trickle, little effect. I mean, some people say, I'm just a student, you know. How much influence can I have, uh, you know, on the bigger scene? Or some people say, oh, I'm just a GP, you see. I'm not a specialist. And the specialists say, I'm just a specialist, you know. And, and everyone just have the mentality, oh, I'm just this, I'm just that, I'm not equipped, I can't do this. And therefore, we are boxing God to a very small box. And that is actually the impediment for us. Why we are not able to swell and explode. Because we are limiting God. And could it be that we are not willing to be used? And you know, as I meditate upon this text, I myself have to think a lot harder on myself. And you know what? This text has to challenge us every day, whether you work in mission, whether you work in the corporate world, whether you work in secular place, in whatever practice, lifestyle retreat, whatever, you must think of this text every day that God has bigger and grander plan. I understand that for us as health practitioners, there are several challenges that we face. Now, I know that I often bring quotations about physician. I'm, as I said, I'm a bit biased, you know, because I'm a physician, right? But I'm sure this word can be used interchangeably with other health workers. Look at this quotation, the book of Ministry of Healing. By the way, I think I've mentioned this, Ministry of Healing is probably my favorite LNG White books. Ministry of Healing, uh, the other one of my favorite book is the book of Education. You know, I don't know how many times I read that. You know, I probably have read that so many times, and yet I still need to refer to that again. Now, I first came across this text. I still remember when I was on my way to the hospital as a medical student, and this text kind of really spoke a lot to me, and I have to revisit now again. She says this, the duties of the physician are what? Arduous and trying. In order to perform them most successfully, he needs to have a strong constitution and vigorous health. Speaking about the health message, by the way. Often what? Deprived of sleep, neglecting even to take food, cut off in great degree from social enjoyment and religious privileges, the physician life seems to lie under a continual shadow. Now, for the students, I hope that uh, you don't... (laughs) You know, you're like, oh dear, I better back off, you know. 
there are, there are better things to come. But you see what? What is, what is our challenges as physicians? Deprived of sleep, neglecting even to take food, cut off in great degree from social enjoyment and religious privileges. In fact, speaking about religious privileges, do you know that on the other occasion of Minister of Healing, she mentioned religious privileges is religious privileges of Sabbath. So at times as a physician or health workers, we cannot attend Sabbath. Now, Pastor Yulden highlighted that and how's that some physicians are drifting off. By the way, I have some counsels for you who face Sabbath issues. First and foremost, we have to be organized. The more organized we are, the better we are with the rostering system. Before the manager or whatever, if you are still in training, starts drafting all these things, you say, by the way, I'm available, this, this, this. You know? So you try to be organized. But let's say if you, despite being organized and you still have to work on Sabbath, what I do is that whatever income I receive on that, I do not take it. I give them all for tithes or mission work. Now, what I notice is among some of my colleagues, some of them, like, they want to be rostered on Sabbath. Because you know why? During the weekend, it's double, triple pay. And I can share with you, as soon as you give all for Christ, that removes all the incentive to work on Sabbath. <laughs> and give you more incentive to spend with your fellow believers at church. So, Ellen G. White recognized this. I remember that once when I was a doctor, someone, you know, asked me, oh, how come you work on Sabbath? Well, you know, Ellen Joyce says she recognized the challenges of a physician. Deprived of sleep, you know, hungry, you know, hopefully don't get stomach ulcer. Uh, you know, you see, the physician life seems to lie under a continual shadow. The affliction he beholds, the dependent mortal's longing for help, his contact with the depraved make the heart, what? Sick and well nigh destroy confidence in humanity. This is what you highlighted this morning. You see, the life of a physician is a life of isolation, I find. Because when something goes right, it is expected. And when something goes wrong, you got all the blame in the world. And besides that, at times it can be difficult to you know, uh, uh, sort of make your family understand. By the way, thank God I have a very understanding wife. But at times I can understand that sometimes your spouse or your family find it difficult. Ellen, you want recognize all these things. For every physician in this room, I just want to share this word of encouragement. And she goes on. In the battle with disease and death, every energy is taxed to the limit of endurance. The reaction from this terrible strain tests the character to the utmost. Then it is that temptation has greatest power. Isn't that right? Maybe those who are tired or cannot sleep, suddenly it's like, oh, I think I need a bit of caffeine to help me awake when I'm on night duty. By God's grace, I survive all those sleepless hours with just plain water. So praise the Lord for that one. Then it is that temptation has greatest power. More than men in, an, in any other calling is the physician in need of what? Self-control, purity of spirit, and that faith which takes hold on heaven. For the sake of others and for his own sake, he cannot afford to disregard physical law. Recklessness in physical habits tends to recklessness in morals. 
The physician's only safety is what? To act from principle, strengthened and ennobled by a firmness of purpose found only in God. He is to stand in the moral excellence of his character. Look at this. Day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, he is to live as in the sight of the unseen world. As did Moses, he must endure as seeing him who is invisible. You know what? I almost can just sit down and stop my preaching. That is already powerful enough. You see, I recognize as health workers, we all face challenges in our life. All these challenges that, is not no, that has not gone unnoticed by God himself. He completely understands. He completely sympathizes with all the challenges that we face. But at the same token, he gives us a remedy. And that remedy is to live by principle. If there is any person in this world that needs to stand by moral character, it is the physician. It is the health workers. They are the one that needs to be the example and embodiment of health and the message that they are preaching on. They are to be the one whereby compassionate care continues to flow through despite the pressure in life. Remember, when we are under pressure, she says, that's when temptation sits in. That's when we lose our cool, so to speak, and can get quite snappy. And when we are snappy, we're not being a good word, example for Jesus. It is important for us to remain Humble, it is important for us to remain close to Him. These are some of the challenges, and I just want to address some of them. And I pray by God's grace, this is also the challenge that we all will take home from this conference. I want to give three challenges for Amen. Now, all these things, with each one, I want to give some practical suggestion because there's no point, right? Giving challenges without giving some practical suggestion. The first challenge that I have for every individual here, be it student, be it health practitioners, or whatever they are, is to develop a consistent, meaningful devotional life with Jesus. Now, I highlight there. The devotional is different than meaningful and consistent. Very different. If you read your Bible in the morning, one verse, and you feel that you have done devotion, and you have not internalized it, that may not necessarily be meaningful. You know what I mean? has to be meaningful, consistent. The second challenge I have, or I want to give, is develop a passion for soul via personal evangelistic effort. Now, you probably come as surprised, but I'm going to highlight this. Like, you probably think, oh, we're in the medical evangelism. How come this is like this guy highlighting personal evangelistic effort? Thirdly, Strive to improve in every single aspect of your work. I just want to highlight the first one, which is the devotional life. She says in Ministry of Healing, Ellen White says in page 121, Let the physician make his mind a what? A storehouse of what? Fresh thoughts. Let him study the Word of God diligently that he may be familiar with its promises let him learn to repeat the comforting words that Christ spoke during his earthly ministry when giving his lessons and healing the sick he should talk of the works of healing wrought by Christ of his tenderness and love never should he neglect to direct the minds of these patients to Christ the chief physician 
The first thing is that, are you memorizing scripture? Well, she says, right? That's a practical suggestion, by the way. Let the physician make his mind a storehouse of fresh thought. Let him study the word that he may be familiar with his promise. If we are not memorizing scripture, how can we be familiar with Christ's promises? Correct? In our devotional life, take some time to memorize the scriptures. But you know what I found? When we were, I don't know whether you remember in Indonesia, certainly, but I'm pretty sure in Australia too. When we were young, in Sabbath school lesson, what do we do? We are asked to what? Memorize what? Verse. And then when we can memorize, we are given what? Sticker or star, yeah? And then one, if you can memorize all 13, what, what do you get? A special present. And then you memorize the scripture in the church. Do we do that these days? Not as much. Why not? That's the challenge I have for each one of us here. We cannot call. You see, the Bible says in John 14, 26, but the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall what? Teach you all things and bring all things into what? Remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. My question, how can the Holy Spirit bring into remembrance of something that you never try to commit to memory? The first challenge I have for you in your devotional life is start internalizing the Word of God. Don't just ask the minister to memorize the verses, you know. We as the medical, even more important for us because we're dealing with life and death every day. And oftentimes during my practice, whenever I am stuck, I claim God's promise. I claim God's word. When I'm stuck, I'll just claim, and down here shall hear the voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk you in it when you turn to the right hand or when you turn to the left. You try to commit all those things into memory and see how your spiritual life will be challenged. Now, to me, devotion is actually very important. Uh, I just want to bring you into my life a little bit, what I do. And you know how I can resonate so closely to this you know, I, I remembered, uh, especially in 2013, remember I came to Adelaide to do my PhD as well as my interventional cardiology fellowship. Now, in 2013, I was the only fellow until 2014. So basically for one year, actually uh, one year and a half, I was the only fellow in Royal Adelaide Hospital. So imagine that. As a fellow... We need to do the cases every day, and then we go on call. In the past, there were two fellows, so we shared, you know. We shared this week, you, next week, me. So for one and a half years, I was on call every single day, seven days a week. I was on call. That's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It means every time there is a heart attack, so you do your work, and then after when you go off, then whenever there is a heart attack, you get called and you have to be available within 20 minutes. Imagine that. I remember the only time I had off was for my annual leave for three weeks. And even in that three weeks, I conducted evangelism. And then two weeks, that's because our second one was born. In fact, I just finished case, right? I was meant to be on call, got home, and my wife said, oh, my water broke already. 
oh, let's go to the hospital and start making a call. Oh, by the way, can somebody just cover me because, you know, I can't really be on call when my wife is giving birth. And, you know, I rem- there are many occasions whereby at 9 o'clock I got called in. And then after that, as I finished one case, another heart attack came. And then as I finished, and then two more came. And one, I, I remembered several times whereby we did not sleep literally the whole night until 8 o'clock. And then 8 o'clock, bang, you start again the whole day. If I do not have a consistent devotional life, I will snap up big time. And probably I'll be a patient in one of your health retreat, basically. <laughs> you see, devotion is very important for me. You know why? Because it sets the day right. What are some of the practical suggestions I have for you? Wake up early. I do not subscribe to people who say, oh, I'm not a morning person. I was like that, basically. But I realized with my commitment, and by the way, I was a full t- I'm still a full-time PhD as well. So imagine doing clinical work, PhD, I had to write chapter for cardiology textbook, and so on and so forth. With all this commitment, I, you know what? Initially, I was really struggling until I find a recipe. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? When my children go to sleep, I'll go sleep as well. And then I'll wake up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And you know when you wake up in the morning at 4 o'clock? You know, you, can, you have plenty of time. You know, Ellen White says it's better to sleep, what, two hours before midnight than after midnight, right? That's what she said. So I'm trying to apply what I've been kind of preaching, you see. So, you know, you wake up early, 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm more like a prayer person. I like to pray, so pray, uh, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes. And then after that, you read your Bible and try to memorize Scripture. And, you know, you ask God that, you know, He will make your work this day to be effective and efficient. And, you know, when you ask Him, why wouldn't He, why wouldn't he answer that? He will answer that when you start your day right. The Bible and Spirit of Prophecy, some of my recommendation for the Bible, you know, uh, don't start with Kings or, you know, Chronicles. It's a bit heavy. You know, read the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs. That is governing the life for spirit of prophecy. You read Ministry of Healing. You read Education. A lot of life gems that we can derive out of that. Spend time in prayer. Fasting from time to time. I don't fast every day, obviously. But from time to time, you fast and seek God's direction. And you know, that's, that's the habit of me and my wife. Whenever we feel that we need some direction in life, we just fast together. And you know what? God at times gives us, like, show us in a dream, like in a very magnificent way. But sometimes God doesn't give the answer. And He just says, you'll be all right. I'm guiding you. That's all sometimes the answer to our prayer. These are important quality for us to survive in this world. How about time management? You know, the other day somebody asked me about time management. What my suggestion for those who are struggling with time management? I mean, we all are struggling with time management. You know, we wish that there are more than 24 hours in a day, right? But for those who are struggling, I would suggest after your devotion and your exercise, you try to draft a plan for the day that is actionable, achievable. Have a target. For physician, for practice, I find it can be difficult, but for those who are students, it can be as simple as today, I want to read three chapters. Just make it actionable, you know? 
And then when, when you make it as bite-sized, more likely you will adhere to that one. And without the time management, create a time budget. We all are taught about financial budget, right? Maybe you have more free time than you might think yourself. And submit all these things to God. My first challenge for every health worker here, number one, develop a consistent devotional life. Memorize scripture. I want to see next year, by God's grace, if I can attend, everyone starts memorizing scripture. And you know what? It's good because what? Then you can teach your kids to be memorizing scriptures. How can you ask your kid to go to the Sabbath school memorizing scripture whereby you yourself don't memorize scripture? That is not possible, isn't it? We need to live by example for our children, for our great-grandchildren. That's what God asks us to do. Next one is personal evangelistic effort. Now, you know what? I must say, whilst medical evangelism is very good, I personally believe that if we are neglecting personal evangelistic effort, we cannot be an effective medical evangelist. I just want to repeat again. If we are neglecting our personal evangelistic effort, we cannot be an effective medical evangelist. One of the challenges I am seeing and the issues, and you know Pastor Yulden was highlighting about how to integrate health and uh, spiritual. You see, it's, uh, the problem is this. Actually, when I am seeing and when I'm listening to many of the talk uh, and also from my interactions with other conferences as well in Indonesia or now the parts of the world, I find Adventists, we are so blessed with resources. Justin, you know, was mentioning to me, if we can combine all resources, that will be the best, right? We're blessed with so many resources. But the challenge I find is always like this. We often view our ministry as segregated from one to another. It is like compartmentalized. So therefore, if let's say we run evangelism, we bring souls, let's say people make decisions, and then guess who's going to follow them up? It's pastor's job. It's not my job. I've done my part. Whereas continuation is extremely important, I find, in my own personal work. Because like this, if I bring Antoinette to, a, to an evangelistic uh, outreach, for example, be it whether she comes from care group or whether she comes from a health message or anything like that, and then once she hears the truth and she feels convicted, now, she has developed a relationship with me, correct? She has developed a close relationship with me. You know why? Because I take her every day to this evangelism. Now, how would she feel after she goes all through these things? And then we say, Antoinette, by the way, that's a pastor. He's going to follow you up. How would Antoinette feel? She feels disconnected, correct? She feels disconnected. And as a result of that, it's very difficult to make that transition from health all the way to what? To a decision, to discipleship, etc. Now I know many people say, oh, you know what, I'm not, I feel uncomfortable, you know, giving Bible study. Well, guess what? Start learning then. <laughs> 
I remember when I, I shared this in the medical student session. When I came to Australia, you know what, to be honest, I never gave Bible study before. I know all the doctrines and so on and so forth, but I never gave like systematic Bible study until one day my housemate was actually coming to church. Now, the, the travel time between my, uh, our homestay at the time to the church is about one hour by train. So it's like so long, you know, when the church starts at nine o'clock, you have to leave home like 7.30, right? So it's an hour trip, you know, basically one way. So it's a long trip. And basically after church, my friend who's completely ignorant of Christianity started asking me like simple questions. Oh, you know, what is the Bible and da, 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 da. And, you know, I tried to explain as much as I can. And turns out that little session became a Bible study session. One hour forward and then one hour coming home. And, uh, and you know, as you being asked questions, what happened to you? You feel you're inadequate, right? So what do I have to do? I have to study the Bible, correct? And at the time, there was no concordance like his sword, my sword, etc. It was like big concordance. So if he asks about love, I have to look into all the verses and start highlighting. But you know what? As you study the Bible, your faith grows. As he asked the question about our Adventist faith, how my faith in the church also grew. And by God's grace, he was baptized. And not only he was baptized, he is now working for one of the mission work in Taiwan. And you know what? I had seven best friends in the university. All of them have been to church. And one make a decision for Jesus as well. So what, what I'm saying here, at times we need to step out of the comfort zone. When Christ came to the earth, he stepped out of his what? His comfort zone. He left the praises of the angels. He left everyone there. He left the communion with the Father so that he can reach out to you and I. And I want to challenge amen. Pray this prayer. Lord, give me one soul to win this year. And if you want to be bold enough, lest I die. Are you bold enough to pray that prayer? And you know what? Every time I pray that God help me to win somebody, God always plays that somebody for you. Don't be scared. And I believe when we feel that our life, when we see our life as well interconnected, then most likely our seeker and contact will transition as well. But as long as we see our life as being, don't get me wrong, like we have specialties, right? That is true. But I believe the personal evangelistic effort is for every single one to do. In fact, you know what? I, when I was, uh, I will not share this testimony in most details, probably some other time. In 2007, I basically took a year off to do Bible worker. And partly because at the time I felt I... I don't quite know how to do mission for God because obviously we talk about medical missionaries and so on. It's like a very nice concept, isn't it? And we use the term all the time, but I found at the time the challenge was to breaking this down to become an actionable plan, if you know what I mean. You know, we often talk about medical evangelism, medical missionary, but what is it? 
And it's quite interesting. And you know, at the time, I decided to leave my profession, actually. I said I took a year off to my parents, who already shocked them anyway. But, uh, but I did not tell them that I actually did not want to come back. I was so convicted that God is calling me to be a minister. Now, that's kind of funny, right? A lot of the time, it's like the other way around. Minister feeling called to be a doctor. I, I said, look, you know what? I felt I'm not serving God enough if I am not the thick and thin of it, so to speak. And I nearly did not come back. But, you know, God obviously has another plan for me. One day, I came across a statement, and I'm going to read to you. And in fact, I just found it again last night as I was uh, reading. And this quotation is... Uh, is a, is a very powerful one. She wrote like this. I have been surprised at being asked by physicians if I did not think it would be more pleasing to God for them to give up their medical practice and enter the ministry. I'm like, whoa, you know, as if God is speaking to me, you know. I am prepared to answer such an inquiry. If you are a Christian and a competent physician... You, listen to this, you are qualified to do tenfold more good as a missionary for God than if you were to go forth merely as a preacher of the word. And I am like, tenfold? And last night when I was reading through this, I discovered that she wrote it in 1892 in Melbourne. And even more kind of I felt, oh, you know, amazing how God kind of brings me back, so to speak. And, I was and you know what? I discovered something about medical missionary. Medical missionary, yes, true. If you, if you actually search Ellen White writing, 106 times she mentions the word medical missionary. At times she addressed physicians, at times she addressed nurses, at times she addressed gospel workers, at times she addressed ministers, depending on the audience. But if you boil down into one, when she turns to the general public, Medical missionary is about meeting someone's needs so that you get confidence and you can enter with the gospel message. That's medical missionary. When you are feeding the poor, that is medical missionary. Obviously for us physicians and other health workers, we, we are us tenfold, she says, right? It means we are asked to do what? Preach the word and also minister through health. So when I'm saying about evangelistic effort, she's asking us to do that, basically. She wants doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, anyone to run evangelism, to do Bible study. That's what she's asking us to do. Not simply handing the ball to the pastor or to the elders or to someone else. That's not medical missionary. Medical missionary is a completeness. And if we do that, then we will be tenfold, what does she say? More powerful than the minister of the word. Don't want to take the work of the pastor though. And you know, I learned this very quickly when I, every time I go on my mission trip, especially to Indonesia. And, uh, and you know, when I went to Indonesia, and I just want to share with you some photos here because this is basically from the most recent one that we did recently. And this, I'm saying about this is the power of medical missionary as an evangelist. Now, we conducted an evangelism recently in this little district. It's a village. Uh, and uh, the district composed of probably four or five villages. 
and the village is probably the population in the whole district is about a thousand people. So this is the only street, basically. This is the house uh, that we kind of stay in. So as you can, that's my girl there. And uh, the main uh, occupation for them is fishermen. This is the church. You see, the church has nothing, <laughs> no toilet. And they are worshiping here. And by the all these people, they do not have uh, much money at all. And yet by God's grace, by faith, they step out and they just build the church, you know, rock by rock, cement by cement. And basically this is what they are today. Now, uh, we ran this evangelistic campaign as a family. So me and my brother-in-law and then with my wife, we brought all the children along and then uh, my my uh, sister-in-law basically. So my brother-in-law and I, we did the preaching and we also did the preliminary talk. So for the first three days when he was doing the message, I was doing the health message. But you know what? During the health message, what do I speak? When I speak about the brain, I speak about prayer. When I speak about rest, I speak about Sabbath. When I preach about uh, coronary heart disease, I preach about healthy diet and exercise. And then he goes on preaching. And then we switch. For the next three nights, uh, I preach, and then he conducted the financial seminar. And by God's grace, every night the attendance is about 500 to 600 people. Now, I said to you, right, the population is 1,000. So almost half of the village actually came. And by the way, this is, I've never done evangelism like this. It's like speaker everywhere, the whole village hears basically. So even though they are not attending, the whole village is listening to the message. And, uh, and I just want to highlight two individuals. Oh, actually, I just want to show you. This is my girl. And uh, I am, you know, one thing that I find so amazing is that we took them for our mission trip. And obviously, I did not start preaching until 9.30. Can you imagine these people stay until... So we start at 7 o'clock, we finish at times at 11.30. You know, they love hearing the Word of God. And, uh, and she stays until 11 o'clock. And when we went home, she says, Daddy, I heard whatever you said is powerful. And I'm like, praise the Lord, you know. And you know, one of the reasons why I, we took our children is two things. One, so that we can spend time together in mission work. And number two... I want to share with them the passion of evangelism. Because it, one, if they have that evangelistic spirit since young, they are more likely to carry that forward until they're grown up. Now, I just want to highlight these two people, this lady here and that man there. These two people are well known to be heavy smokers, chain smokers for years, for years. And we invited them, obviously, they heard about our seminar, and we ran charity clinic as well before the seminar every day. Now, the charity clinic is nowhere near like what we have here. I saw 50 patients from 3 o'clock until 6 o'clock. Because that's all the time we have, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock, 50 patients. And uh, it was so busy, and to be honest, I was out of my comfort zone. It was all GP questions. Gout, like, you know, tennis ball, and then after that, uh, some people have uh, stomach aches, some, almost no cardiology issue. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, it's been a while since I handled general medicine. 
please help me, equip me. I feel, and then when I, you know, I tried to ask another doctor to kind of accompany me, but he said he can't. And he said, this is easy, you know, this is bread and butter medicine. You can do it. You're, you're a specialist. And I'm like, oh dear. <laughs> but you see, when you take the step of faith, step out of your comfort zone, guess what? God equips you. And pretty much after the second or third patient, you know, I think I, I know a bit how to manage gout now. <laughs> but you see what happens when they come to the clinic and they say, doctor, I got headache. Doctor, I got neck pain, everything. I said, well, you know what? Come to my talk this afternoon. Come to my talk this evening. You'll hear my message. And guess what? You have a continuation because they hear the they feel the touch of the physician. They hear the message that is physical. And they hear also the spiritual message. And that is a complete transition. And you know what? Even now, you know, several months down the track, everyone in that village continues to say, when are they coming back again? And by the way, these two smokers, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know what? For the first time in many, many years, they stopped smoking. I did not run any smoking campaign, by the way. They just stopped smoking. And they said, oh, look, you know what? We have no more desire to actually smoke anymore. And that's simply because of the Word of God. Because the Word of God is powerful, right? And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the bone and marrow. That's the Word of God. The, the question is, do we trust that Word enough or not? Well, I now, uh, you know, I always believe that because I've seen the evidence how these two stop smoking just simply because of that. And by the way, by God's grace, there are several baptisms. I don't have time to share all the sources. But you know what? Those two individuals, it's quite interesting. They did not stand for baptismal appeal. But they whispered to my mother-in-law. And they said, by the way, the reason why we don't stand because... We fear at the moment of the repercussion. I mean, imagine, very small community, everyone is watching them. And they said, but don't worry. There will be second and third wave that will be bigger. What, what do you say of that? And that is what I'm saying about transition. I cannot tell you how powerful it is when you present the health evangelism and you present also the spiritual evangelism. Your patients have confidence already in you, in their physical well-being. They will have even greater confidence once you share the spiritual well-being. The last challenge I have for each one of us, and this is going to be the last slide, is continue to strive to improve. She says again, the physician who desires to be an acceptable co-worker with Christ will strive to become efficient in every feature of his work. He will study diligently that he may be well qualified for the responsibilities of his profession and will constantly endeavor to reach a higher standard, seeking for increased knowledge, greater skill, and deeper discernment. Every physician should realize that he who does weak, inefficient work is not only doing injury to the sick, but is also doing injustice to his fellow physicians. The physician who is satisfied with a low standard of skill and knowledge not only belittles the medical profession, but does dishonor to Christ, the chief physician. What is my challenge for you? Sure, we need to practice our lifestyle evangelism 
etc. But at the same time, make sure we are also competent as a physician and we remain updated with the current guidelines, etc. That's what we need to do to make us competent in our work. And by the way, I want to challenge also for those of you who are engaged in the lifestyle retreat, collect your data, make a research, publish it so that it adds also to the glory of God. This is not for us to boast, isn't it? This is for us so that we can become a model whereby Christ can shine through us in His fullness. Sure, I'm not saying that we have not experienced the Holy Spirit in our life. We have, otherwise we wouldn't be here, you see. We have, but maybe to some of us, that Holy Spirit is just trickle. What we want is the pouring, is the outpouring, that we may be made better servant for Him. Is it your desire today that you want to respond to these challenges, that you want to respond whereby, Lord, from now on, I want to step out of my comfort zone. I know that maybe my devotional life has not been very consistent and meaningful, but I want to commit to you today that I want to be consistent from now on. I don't want to be just providing lip service for you. I want to be providing action for you. Is it a desire today too that from now on you will pray every day, Lord, Help me to lead one soul for you this year. Help me that this soul may transform my life. And thirdly, Lord, I want to strive to be a better man, personally, professionally, that through me, I can be a glory for you. That I can take your name higher and higher and higher. If that is your desire today, I just, want to, I just want you to stand wherever you are as we close this morning's program. <clears throat> Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your blessing and thank you for your grace. Father, today we make a hard commitment to you, and I need to make that hard commitment too. That Lord, you will search our heart and you will help us that we may grow each and every day to be made more and more like you. Lord, if we have not been faithful in our personal evangelistic effort, Lord, I pray that you will help us to do so. For Lord, we know that each one of us, we are called as a leader in a sense, leader of someone to Jesus. Lord, we realize we're just nothing but a tool and instrument that you leave on this earth to bring others to see Jesus. And we need to bring them to Christ because Christ is life. And Lord, we pray that you also give us tools and enable us to do so. That Lord, we may be made a complete medical missionary. That we may be effective for your work. And Lord, maybe some of us too, we have neglected uh, our diligence in the way we do our practice. And Lord, I want to pray for each one of us, including myself too. Help us, Lord, to strive in every single aspect of our life. That, Lord, you can shine through us at workplace, at home, at church, in our community. That we can impact this world. And we can help prepare this world to usher your second coming return that is indeed very imminent. Thank you, Father. Be with us as we leave this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.